Uh, if you would turn with me to James chapter 2. Um, this morning we're going to consider the first 13 verses of chapter 2. And our message will come from the text in James. We'll have some connections to some other passages as well. We're going to read uh, the text. We'll make some observations and applications as we go. But first of all, uh, let us pray. Father, we ask for ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts to believe the words that we will hear from James this morning. We desire the Holy Spirit to engage and activate our will, Lord, that we would align with yours. We thank you, Lord, for the freedom we have in Christ to obey your scriptures from the heart. May we love who you love, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. James chapter 2, beginning verse 1, uh, I will be reading from the ESV this morning. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. This is God's inspired word. Father, we ask that you would illuminate the word to our minds this morning by grace. We ask for the Holy Spirit to inflame our hearts, that we would love you and love your word. We ask for the word to make us willing, Lord, to walk in the word as we uh, aim to imitate Jesus Christ in our lives. We do so to the glory of God the Father, and we ask that you would have your way in our time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, uh, James here is teaching to uh, believers, and he has taught to them, the, those who have been societally marginalized, these who have been separated from their communities, they've been subject to a loss of income for their faith in Jesus Christ, and he tells them to count it all joy when you're facing various trials. And he tells them, you know that these trials are designed and ordained by God to produce in you a genuine faith. And that you would, in that genuine faith, that you would trust the God who saved you. The genuineness of your faith will be tested. Christians are either confirmed or convicted by their response to these various tests. So James has laid out for us so far, first, how is the Christian to response to trials? That is uh, chapter 1, 2 through 12. The genuine believer is, it is said then, is to respond in faith knowing that these trials are productive, that they produce something in the believer. 
Secondly, how does a believer respond to temptation? Is what we saw in James chapter 1, verses 13 through 18. The born-again believer responds not by blaming God, but understands that the desire for sin comes from the depths of a depraved heart. And last week, what is the Christian response to the word of God as the word of God is preached? We saw that the blood-bought Christian response to the word of God preached both in word and in deed, having their words and their actions transformed by the renewal of the mind and inflamed heart for God and having been made willing to obey. So as we come here to this second chapter in James, we pick up on the same statement I made last week is that behavior matters. But this week we're going to expand on the idea that behavior includes not just the words that we say and the deeds that we do, but James here is also pointing to an attitude. There's also attitudes. So I would ask us this morning to ponder these things. What is your attitude toward the brother or sister who seemingly has nothing to offer you? What is your attitude toward a brother or sister who votes differently than you do? What is your attitude toward the Christian who responds to the pandemic differently than you do? What is your attitude toward your Christian brothers and sisters who struggle with different sins than you do? Well, see, the natural human loves to give mercy to those who are most like them and give judgment to those who are not like them. Mercy and kindness are easily extended to those who have something to offer in return. Judgment, then, goes for those who do not have anything to offer us. Those who agree with our politics are often given a pass for their blunders and their unkind words. But those who disagree with our political stake are held to the fire for their mistakes. Often, the natural person wants justice for those who sin against them, but they act as though they deserve mercy for those for whom they have wronged. I want justice for the one who's wronged me, but I want mercy for every wrong I've done. This is what the natural man does. Well, as we see, the, the crux of verse 9 says, but if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Well, 10 years ago, I was doing a ministry in the juvenile detention center, and this young guy came to me. He uh, had stolen a car, and he had stolen a car from a, a kid who had cheated his mom out of some money. And he started talking to me about justice. He wanted to talk to me about getting justice and, and looking for mercy. So he asked me, he said, Jeff, would you, would you pray that the judge would show me mercy for this car theft charge I'm facing? I said, well, all right, but first, tell me, uh, what should happen to the kid who stole money from your mom? He said, well, he deserves whatever punishment he gets. I said, well, so why do you want mercy for you and justice for him? I said, I'll tell you what, I'll do what's fair. He says, what's that? I said, I'll pray that both of you get justice. He says, oh, don't do that. He says, why don't we just pray that we both get mercy? There's an idea. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. So let us look closely at James chapter 2, verse 1, 
And we're going to spend a lot of time looking at the cross. And I know we don't see the cross in this passage, but we're going to, it's amazing. The songs that, that Katie chose are right in line with what the Lord has impressed upon me to preach about this morning from this text. So let's look at verse one. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. So I'm going to ask us this morning, what do you see when you look at the cross where Jesus died? How do you apply the accomplishment of Christ to yourself? How do you apply the cross to those who seemingly have nothing to offer you in return? What does the cross mean for those who vote differently than you do? How do you apply the cross to those who respond to the pandemic in a different way than you do? What are the implications of the cross towards those who have sinned against you? What is your attitude towards God concerning the cross? How do you respond to the law of God in light of Jesus' death? What we understand of the cross is going to determine and does determine our attitudes concerning God. How we view the cross determines our attitude uh, and our understanding of ourselves, His law, God's law, and our neighbors. The justice of God was meted out for the sins of believers on the cross. You see, sin was rightly judged. And yet, it was not justice that the believer received, is it? When you look at the cross, it was not justice that the believer received. The believer received mercy. R.C. Sproul says this, God does not always act with justice. Sometimes he acts with mercy. Mercy is not justice, but it is also not injustice. Injustice violates righteousness. Mercy manifests kindness and grace and does no violence to righteousness. We may see non-justice in God, which is mercy, but we never see injustice in God. And James says, Brothers, as you hold the faith, remember that it was the mercy of God that you received in Jesus Christ your Lord, who was glorified by God, placing the judgment that you deserved upon the Lord of glory instead of you. Since you have received mercy from God, the command is give mercy to all without distinction. As we think about the do's and don'ts of the scripture, remember it always flows from the, the indicative. Who are you in Christ? determines your response, how you behave. The scriptures always will teach us this. There is, this is who Christ is for you. This is who you have now become. That then comes the command. This is how you behave. It never comes the other way around. It never comes, here's a command. Now go behave so that you can get the mercy of God for yourself. Right? It always comes first with, this is who you are. This is who Christ has become for you. So he says here that you have received mercy from God. So then give mercy to all without distinction. This is the faith that you hold on to. Because why? I think it's this. Because the Christ, Christ's death on the cross should humble the genuine believer. The genuine believer when the genuine believer goes to the cross of Jesus Christ, he or she should be humbled. Complete humility. Completely humbled. 
The person who has been converted understands that salvation is all of grace and it is because of mercy instead of judgment. A parallel passage in Matthew 5, 7 says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And in Matthew 7, 2, it says, With the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. You see, this does not mean, brothers and sisters, that we don't judge at all. It means that we judge, as God does, according to mercy. And we judge according to the mercy that we have received, and we continue to give that out that we will receive continued mercy from our God. We have been saved because of mercy and by grace. So chapter, uh, so verse 2 uh, through 4, we're going to see an example uh, that James lays out for them. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit, uh, sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? So James here uses an example of mercy being withheld, right? Mercy, mercy being withheld and judgment that is according to the world standard rather than according to the mercy received by them in Christ Jesus, right? The Lord of glory. Instead of, instead of uh, responding to the, this poor man who comes in with the mercy that they have received in Christ Jesus, the Lord of glory, they are using the world standard to judge him. They are saying, he has nothing to offer me. He's less than. And so therefore, you know, you go sit in the back. Well, I have really wrestled with this idea in this text, right? Because as I thought about it, um, I laid there in my bed early this morning going, there is uh, no way that we would do that, is there? There's no way that we would do that. Well, I was part of a congregation that I was told, you can't say that to this person because they're a good giver. You can't tell them the truth because they are a faithful giver. You need to rub elbows with this person because they are a person that is pretty and we like to see them up front. Is that not a distinction that the world makes and not a distinction that God would make? So I thought about that saying, that could never happen. And then I realized this happened. I lived, I lived it. I was told that I could not do ministry in the way that I felt that the scriptures uh, guided me to because I might offend a faithful giver. Of course, my question at that point was, how do you know that? And why do you know that? It's not a thing I know. I have no idea. I have absolutely I can 100% attest to this. Carol can. John can. I have no idea who gives what, and I want to keep it that way. I want to keep it that way. But anyway, how could this happen, right? Well, that, that's my thought in my own heart. And in my own mind, this should never happen. This could never happen. Well, it does happen all the time. James uses this example, and he says, this is an example of preferring one standard for those who can give something, one standard for those who can provide something, and then withholding honor only for those who seemingly have something to give, something to offer. I've heard things this season like this. 
You cannot be a Christian and vote for so-and-so. I've heard, you cannot be a Christian and believe the rhetoric of the pandemic. Well, that's a distinction we ought not to make, isn't it? Because it is God who gives mercy to whom He chooses. And mercy is given upon God's authority. God makes the sovereign choice to give justice or mercy, not you and not me. This sort of distinction, James says, comes from evil. What does it come from? It comes from the inherited sin um, instead of coming from bestowed mercy. You know, the first sin and all that have come after it are just like it. It was a desire to appropriate what belonged to God alone that was the first sin. It was Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, they got out of their lane and they desired to have knowledge of good and evil and to make distinctions that belonged only to God. You can eat of any tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God would say, this tree belongs to me. This tree belongs to me. In my sovereign understanding, this tree belongs to me. Well, this knowledge of good and evil, this knowledge of to whom God will bestow mercy on or justice on is God's and not ours. It's not our distinction. It is God's distinction. But you know what? God's standard is this. God's standard is mercy. I want you to get this. We'll see this. That God's standard from His heart, from the heart of the Father, is mercy. God is a merciful, merciful God. Let's look at verses 5 through 7. He says, Listen, my beloved brothers, has God not chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which He has promised to those who love Him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? So I would ask you this, by a show of hands in this room, how many of you are rich? I didn't think I'd see any hands. How many of you are from the elite? How many of you are models? Astronauts? How many of you are of royal birth? You see, God's standard is not according to the world's standard. It is according to mercy. As we look, turn with me, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And we'll begin reading in verse... 26. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to, bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus, who has become to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that it is written, Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And James here says to these Christians dispersed away from Jerusalem, Remember your position. It is the rich man and the wise man and the noble man, according to the world standard, that has driven you to your current estate that has driven you to your current 
position. They are the ones who blaspheme the name of Christ by which you are called. The standard for you is God's standard. It is mercy. Mercy is the standard upon which you treat others as you have been treated. You see, I think that we don't get that because we don't look at the cross close enough and understand just how merciful our God was to us who believe. I think we forget that, don't we? Pretty readily. I think as we start to live the Christian life, sometimes we think he got a good deal when he got me. God got kind of a good deal. The truth of the matter is he didn't get such a good deal. I got a good deal. I deserved judgment. I deserved the wrath of God. And instead of it coming to me, he put it on his son, Jesus Christ, and gave me mercy. I think when we walk in that truth, that we, have, we are just people of mercy, of God's undeserved, unearned personal favor, it is then that we give that away, right? It is then that we are able to give that same mercy away. Well, let us look at verses 8 through 11. He says, If you really fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So if I could retitle this morning's sermon, I had several of them as the week went on. I, I ended up titling it, The Sin of Partiality. But if I could retitle it, I would retitle today's sermon this. Be merciful, stay in your lane, it's the law. It is the law of God. To, feel, to fulfill the law as unto the king, love your neighbor as yourself. You see, James uses two terms that uh, attaches them to the word law in this passage. One is the royal law, and later we will see it is the law of liberty. The royal law in the Greek is basilikos, which means sovereign. God's choice is to have mercy upon whom he chooses. God's choice to have mercy upon whom he chooses. James here would say, stay in your lane. Be merciful to all. To love your neighbor, love your neighbor. Be merciful to all. Because choosing belongs to the sovereign God, according to the scriptures. He says, this is your lane, is mercy. God gets mercy and judgment, doesn't he? He gets both. This is like us going to the tree and saying, I want the knowledge of good and evil. And he says, that's not yours. I am the one who holds both mercy and justice. You, who have been given mercy, walk in mercy and give that mercy away. And you might remember the story of the Good Samaritan. There was this lawyer, and he's trying to justify himself, and he asked who is my neighbor? Well, so a priest and a Levite and a Samaritan, they come upon this Jewish man and he's in need of help. The Samaritan, he binds the, the guy's wounds, he sets him on his own animal, and then he paid for his convalescence, right? Well, then the question was asked, 
Who showed that they were the true neighbor? The one who showed mercy is the real neighbor. The one who showed mercy is the real neighbor. The one who shows mercy to you and the ones whom we show mercy to, those are your real brothers and your real sisters in Christ. To show partiality is sin. He makes no bones about it in verse 9, does he? To show partiality is sin. It is to throw off heaven's rule, to betray the heart of the sovereign God. That's what it is. All sin is that, isn't it? It is to throw off the sovereign king of heaven. It is to throw it off, to betray God's heart. To be unmerciful is to betray the heart of God. It is a sin, he says, that is as grievous as murder and adultery. It denies God's sovereign choice and betrays the heart of God who wrote the law. The heart of the, heart of the law has been to receive it because of God's mercy and grace. Let's look at the last two verses. This becomes the big imperative. This is what to do. This is how to live. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. See, what you understand about the cross will determine how you relate even to the law of God. When you see Christ as having fulfilled the perfect obedience that the law requires, dying for you by the mercies of God, when you see God's just punishment for your sin being poured out upon Jesus and not on you, you see the heart of the lawmaker. Don't you see the law of the heart of the lawmaker? The heart of the lawmaker is that he is a merciful God. He is a merciful God. And James says, so speak and so act in word and in deed and in attitude as one who has been set free from the penalty that the law requires. But more than that, he says, you who are legitimately free, that is the idea of the law of liberty. It, it means you're judged according to the law of liberty. You've been set free from the penalty. But you're not set free from the obligation to obey. You understand that? We are set free from the penalty that the law requires because that was meted out on the person of Jesus Christ on the cross. But we are not set free from the obligation to obey it. God never excuses us and gets us away from obey, uh, obeying the law. Ever. But if you've been legitimately set free by Christ on the cross, you have also been legitimately enabled to obey it. That is what God promises to us, and that's what God gives us through the death and resurrection of Jesus. You're legitimately freed and able to obey the requirement of the law, but it is now from the heart. You don't obey the law as one who's who's receiving something, you behave, you obey the law because you have received something. Because you have received mercy and freedom in Jesus Christ. And he says this, you will be judged as a Christian one day under the law. You will be judged according to the law. But you will be judged as one who has been legitimately set free from the penalty. You've been set at liberty 
Eleuthera is the word in the Greek. It's legitimately freed by grace because of God's mercy. The genuineness of the faithful Christian is evident in obeying the law of God from the heart according to the heart of the lawmaker. I want us to get that. We obey the law from the heart. Not just in words, you know. Not just saying that we obey, but obeying the law from the heart but obeying the law according to the heart of God. And the heart of God, as we saw, is merciful. The heart of God is merciful. That is the royal law. As he sums it up in that verse, the royal law, the sovereign law, the king of the universe, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, says you fulfill the royal law, the sovereign law, according to the sovereign king's heart, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That fulfills the heart of God. That is the heart of the whole law. That is the aim of the whole law, is the mercy of God. That we are to display God's mercy, aren't we? As we interact with each other, we display the mercy that God has given us by giving mercy to each other, by giving mercy to those who we think in our estimation, or in the world's estimation, don't deserve it. Because what does it do? What it, what it does is it tells the truth about who God is. He is merciful. He's the right judge. He's perfect and holy, and we ought to reverence Him. But He is a God who has shown mercy. That's the story we tell as Christians. We tell the story of God's mercy. We tell the story that if, if you don't repent and believe, you're on the other side of that. You're on the other side of that, that that judgment comes to those who don't repent and believe. But we who have repented and believe have received mercy, and that is how God has called us to live as merciful believers and followers of Him. The heart of the lawmaker is mercy. Again, in Matthew 7, when He says, with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured. You are to judge, but it should be measured with as much mercy as God has shown you. We are to judge. We are to make judgments as believers, right? This is not, this don't ever judge. That's just untrue. Believers are to make judgments, but that judgment is seasoned and saturated in the mercy that you have received. We still tell the truth. We still tell the truth, but as those who have received mercy and we act in mercy towards those we tell the truth to, And I say this, that we ought to stay in our lane because it is God who makes the sovereign choices. You can listen to Paul in Romans 9. He says, what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I have compassion on whom I have compassion so that it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills and he hardens whomever he wills. I want us to close this morning by going to the cross. I want us to go to the cross where we see the heart of God's mercy and we see God's sovereign choice so clearly. The cross of Jesus Christ is where we see the judgment and justice of God, don't we? We see the wrath of God against sin. We see the mercy of God towards sinners who believe. 
see it both at the same time. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? That we see both of those at the same time. But I want to go to the cross this morning in Luke chapter 23. You can turn there with me if you would like. And uh, we'll begin in verse 32. And of course, you know this familiar passage in Luke of the thief on the cross. As Jesus is there on the cross in between them, in, in between two criminals. Luke 23, verse 32. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, they were cruci- there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, and they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged, uh, who, who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God? since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. So I would ask us this morning, are you the thief who has been shown mercy? Or are you the thief remaining under judgment. If you're the thief who has been shown mercy, then live as one who has been set free to fulfill the requirements of the law according to the mercy of God. But if you are the thief under judgment, repent and believe that God in His merciful love sent for you His Son to fulfill the law and to suffer the penalty that you deserved. Confess Jesus as Lord Believe from the heart that God raised him from the dead and God from the heart will give you mercy and he will set you free so that you then can walk in newness of life and reflect the law of God from a heart of mercy in all that you do, in all that you say, and in all of your attitude. It is apt I want to turn back and read the words of a song we sang this morning because it just hit me that this is the heart of what the Lord put upon me to share, to proclaim to you from James. And it is from that song, Sweetly Broken, in verse 2. What a priceless gift, undeserved life, have I been given through Christ crucified. You called me out of death. You called me into life, and I was under your wrath. Now through the cross, I'm reconciled. Isn't that the truth of God's word? That is the truth of what happens at the cross. So I pray that we would be those who look to the cross and understand that we have been given much mercy. And I pray that we would also be those who, by the way we, as, as James says, so speak 
and so act as those who will be judged under the law of liberty, that we would so speak and so act and so behave as those who have been set free from the penalty that our sin so richly deserved and set free to show the mercy of God to a world who needs him. Do we all need the mercy of God right now in this world? I mean, really. If you could pray for anything for God to do, we don't deserve it. The world doesn't deserve it. Our nation does not deserve the mercy of God by the way they're acting. We didn't deserve it either. But right now, that should be our prayer every day. God, be merciful to us. God, show your mercy and grace to us. Undeserved, unearned personal favor, God. That is what we need in our nation. I think that's what we need in our church. I think that's what we need in our homes. I think that's what we need in our marriages. I think that's what we need as parents is mercy. Mercy from God. 